Great to see you all. Glad to be back with y'all. Heard uh, Will's talk last week was very good, so glad to hear that, or glad that y'all got to sit under his teaching last week. Still haven't listened to it, so glad to see you. And yeah, good. Um, well, he just said, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, um, so one thing I've been to ask, just as we walk through this, um, and this is not to publicly shame anyone or everyone, but just a question. Um, did anyone have any opportunities this week they felt like sharing the gospel or meeting anybody that, you know, somebody new to, that, to add to the list or anything that we'd be praying for? Great. Yeah, I got to meet a, a young man named Jack who actually um, is a farmer at um, uh, Crane Creek Vineyards up here. He's actually a coach for the one of the women's professional Frisbee teams, too, which I didn't know there were professional Frisbee teams, but uh, he coached for them, so I was like, wow, you must be really good at Frisbee. I'm going to invite him to our next Frisbee outing. Um, but say what? Women's Frisbee. Women's Frisbee. <laughs> but it is women's Frisbee. Um, but, um, I mean, it was, you know, it was interesting to see, I mean, I didn't really, I, I wish, I'm going to talk about what we're going to have right here, but um, I wish I had something like this, but one of those opportunities, I didn't really have a lot of time, so it was more just, you know, I felt like the Lord was just, you know, following that little voice, just, hey, just ask him if he works at Crane Creek, Cane, Crane, Cane Creek or Crane Creek? Crane, Crane Creek. Uh, he was wearing a hat and um, just started a conversation, and, um, but it's interesting, I mean, you know, the, as, I mean, as Roger probably knows too, as much fear as you have when you approach somebody, you always walk away thinking, yeah, it wasn't as bad <laughs> as I kind of built it up to be, right? It was not as, uh, as Roger said, I, I know in, in, the, in the time that I've shared the gospel with either a stranger or whatever, it, it has never, had never ended in me being persecuted, right? The, the, the opening I got, and other people might look for this, if someone is suffering from something that, that they never had trouble with before, if mm-hmm. they had a bad incident in their life, if, if some misfortune has fallen upon them, and you learn of that, that's like a wide open door. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. what I, otherwise yeah, yeah. I probably wouldn't have said anything. Yeah. Being timid. So. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's right on. We'll talk about that. If we can't get it this week, at least next week. Yeah, those, those doors that people just sort of naturally give to gospel conversation <coughs> of, of, of just easy chances to share the gospel. Um, well, awesome. Well, just, you know, again, it's not to publicly shame people. It's not, it's just, I just want to hear, like, you know, what, how, how if you're putting to practice what we're talking about or how it's going. And um, so just always, I'm going to continue to just ask that question. Um, my, unfortunately, my seminary pre- professor for evangelism would always ask that question. He could kind of see everybody else in a room of 60 people. And as soon as he'd ask that question, everybody would be like, ooh. <laughs> so I don't, I don't mean to do that. Um, but you're also, none of y'all are, you know, paying to go to full-time ministry. So, um, all right, well, let's um, just, as we always do, start off. Um, well, let me first pray for us, and then we'll start off with the Westminster Lord Catechism, and then start our lesson tonight, today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for uh, the joy it is to come together and to learn what it means to, to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, I pray even as these, these dear saints here uh, come together and, and, and sit under this teaching that you would uh, encourage them, build them up, build me up, Lord, uh, the things I read, the things that I prepare uh, to be faithful witnesses to you, our great God and King. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Westminster Large Catechism, question 25. Um, this is really the, the, the question that kind of sums up what we call the doctrine of original sin. So you've probably heard John say that before, or myself say that. Someone, if you've been in the Reformed faith long enough, you've heard the term original sin. Um, and this is, this is where it, it all kind of summed up in this question right here. So the question is, wherein consisteth the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell? So 
remember the following pattern of man was, con- was created righteous, upright, good. He did not remain in that condition, but fell when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the apple, ate of the fruit of the tree of the, of the, 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 law, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now it's asking, all right, so what is this sinful estate that now finds itself, that man now finds itself? And so here's the answer. The sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell. And notice that it's not just Adam, but it's man. It's every person, right? Just general man. Consisted in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of that righteousness wherein he was created, and the corruption of his nature, whereby he is utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite unto all that is spiritually good, and wholly inclined to all evil, and that continually, which is commonly called original sin, and from which do proceed all actual transgressions. Hey, y'all, good morning. Um, next time that door will be locked, just FYI. <laughs> um, I did bring the soup pot. So oh, good you deal. Okay, what's well, unlocked for you next time then? Um, notice too, so just a couple of things that we're going to point out first. Notice what they say is. Um, the, the status of the, the, what, what is given, right? The guilt of Adam's first sin. And again, there's that, this odd, not odd, but this um, covenantal relationship that we have with Adam. Meaning Adam, as our covenant head, we basically, whatever he does is counted to us. And that's Romans 5 right there. Just Adam is our covenant head. When he sins, we've all sinned in him, right? So we have the guilt of Adam's first sin. Um, the want of that righteousness wherein, wherein he was created. So we have this we have this lack. All that righteousness, all that goodness that Adam had, we now lack. And the corruption of his nature, right? So we have a fractured nature. There's a there's, Our nature is not the way it's supposed to be. And notice how it describes this corruption now, right? Whereby, because of this corruption, he is indisposed, disabled, and made opposite unto all that is spiritually good. So indisposed, we, we can't, and, and indisposed and disabled, right? We can't we're not able to perceive the good. We're not able to, to, to chase after the spiritual good anymore. And we're actually made opposite, right? I mean, this is Paul in Romans 3. No one is righteous. No, not one. And, you know, there's, there's different ways the Bible uses the word righteous. But when Paul is talking about it in Romans 3, he's talking about the righteousness, the goodness to justify God. Yeah? yeah one thing about the goodness is that we can't even do uh, complete good because what we perceive as good may not be in God's will yeah. and even though it is a good thing that we're doing it may not be exactly what we should be doing right and to go along with that you know even when we do good things because of our sinful nature that we have there's always sinful motives behind it right there's always some there's always something you know there's always some little part of me whenever we do something good because you know I mean we have to be honest like sinful people non-believers, everyone can do what I might call existentially good things. I mean, it's good to feed the homeless. It's good, you know, it's a good thing to volunteer your Saturday to go pick up a park, right? I mean, but it's not a, it's not a justifying good. I mean, it doesn't give you any points before God because even when, even when people do what they call good, there's always those little motives of, yeah, but what am I getting out of this, right? What am I able to, to receive from doing this? Um, so that's sort of that indisposed and disabled, but also we're made opposite, right? We actually, there's a part of us that hate the things that are spiritually good. And really this, be, this, is, this is because um, the things that are spiritually good consist of, man, I'm talking like the divines now, they consist in what God has commanded, right? The, good, the spiritually good things consist in what God commands, and we as sinful people now, because of sin, hate what God commands, right? We have this, we have this aversion, right? But instead, we're, 
as, as the divines say here, will wholly incline to all evil, and that continually. Meaning there's never a moment where we just have this kind of flicker of good, right? We're always inclined towards evil. I mean, you just think of, we're almost just like a, a stone being rolled down in an in infinite cliff, right? Of just, once you start, there's no stopping, right? That momentum, that, um, what do they call it, the force that, what is it, right? You're an engineer, what's Iner- inertia, right? Yeah, the, the inertia, it's too great, we can't stop and then go back, right? The, the force of our sin is too great, just compounding and compounding. Um, and this is what is called original sin, right? So this is where what David talked about. In, in, in sin, I was conceived, right? I was brought forth in iniquity. So this, this doctrine that the Bible shows us that there is no one from the, the child growing in the mother's womb to Mother Teresa who has somehow been garnered good, has somehow earned the label of good or righteous. Um, and from this actually proceed all the actual sins that we do. Um, so just a little, that's, just, that's the kind of summary. I actually, someone asked me this week, what is the doctrine of original sin? And I should have just handed them this question. Here's what it is, right? Right here. Um, but um, so that's, a, you know, again, as, as hard as some of these pieces are, this is part and parcel of what it means to be saved by grace and grace completely. To believe that we have nothing in ourselves that we offer, but God alone makes us good. He alone calls us righteous and renews us in his spirit. Um, so, all right, let's, let's jump in, dive into thinking about evangelism, right? So we've, we've been laying the groundwork, talked about um, approaches to apologetics and just, uh, and as Will spent some time on evil, um, really would just encourage you guys, you know, it's a good thing to, well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time of it right now, it's a good thing to read books about how to defend your faith, right? Not, ne- not even necessarily for reading, as you know, how to, how to answer. It's good to read how to answer non-believers' objections, right? But really just for your own edification. Seeing that there, are, there have been Christians for 2,000 years, you know, I mean, some of these questions of the problem of evil were, were answered and really dissected back in 500, 600 A.D., right, with the church fathers when they were wrestling with this, right? Um, that Christians, you know, we're not... Christians are not just some glum, naive people who just, you know, take everything that the church tells them, right? But Christians for a long time, a long, long time, have thought hard about the problem of evil, have thought hard about what it means to be um, under the hand of a sovereign God and yet responsible for what we do. Uh, all these things, right? There's, there's answers that the Christian tradition provides. Um, but now what I want to do, especially these next few weeks, is really think through... Um, the task of evangelism, right? When really, hopefully, provide y'all and myself uh, tangible ways that we can go about that, right? Tangible ways of actually going about the evangelistic task. Um, and really, to start off, as we think about the work of evangelism, well, actually, before I even go into the initial questions to ask, I've said before, but I often feel like, as I do this to myself, that we make evangelism harder than it actually has to be, right? We put evangelism as like, this great, I mean, it is a great and glorious category, but it's, it's like this professional category where only those really properly trained can do it, right? And uh, if you try it and mess up, God's coming for you, right? Um, and, and really, as, as I hope to show here, and as I've been just reminded as I read some books on it and, 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 and explore myself, um, it really is just calling people alongside you in your life, telling them what Jesus has done for you, Right? Um, and so even as we think about these questions to ask, right, um, the best questions to ask evangelism are not necessarily how am I going to get the most people saved, right? I don't want, I don't, we, we shouldn't necessarily have a pragmatic approach to what we're doing, 
But the best questions to ask, the initial questions to ask are, are what I've got, I've, these three of the ones that I can think of, but I'm sure there are more, right, are who are my neighbors? Who are those people living, you know, within a mile from your house, within 100 yards from your house? Um, who are those people that you see time and again? You know, I just think it's been cool to live in, in Blairsville. And, you know, we had this, every big city is sort of like just a bunch of little towns. It's not like this didn't happen in Charlotte or Jackson. But, um, you know, going to Ingalls or going to Aldi and you kind of see, you know, at least the same workers there. And then oftentimes the same people, right? So these, who, who are the people that you are constantly running into? Um, and who is in my community, right? So not only demographically, but also just what kind of people is the Lord bringing to Blairsville? Right? What kind of people are, is he bringing? And, and how do my gifts fit with who are showing up, right? I mean, this, I mean, Blairsville kind of surprisingly for, you know, Northeast Georgia is more diverse and I, not necessarily ethnically diverse, which is not a bad thing or a good thing, but, you know, the, the different types of people of, you know, locals who, and then people vacationing, you know, who have been vacationing here for years and years and years, you know, very wealthy, secular people who come up here every summer or what, what have you, right? There's a lot of, there's a surprising amount of ideological difference <coughs> and diversity in Blairsville than maybe I originally anticipated. Um, but also, you know, who are my neighbors, who's in my community, but also what opportunities are available. And this is where, you know, as we think through this kind of reminder that, hey, evangelism, reaching people with the gospel is actually work. It, it, it does take some, some effort. And part of that is, you know, what, what are the natural things that my community around me has given me to get involved, right? So, you know, is it the farmer's market? Is it, you know, we've got the pickleball you know, the, the mecca of pickleball right down the road from our house. Um, is it a book club, right? I mean, I, I've been thinking about joining the, um, oh my gosh, what's the bookstore down here? Bookbound. Bookbound, thank you. Um, now, the books they read are probably not my cup of tea, so I'm looking to maybe approach my, uh, my own there. But, you know, are there book clubs in your town? Are there, what are the things that your community is giving you broadly to get to know people around you? Uh, because in each of those, neighbors within your neighborhood, within your community, um, getting to know people through various acts of opportunities. Each of those are, you know, little little um, links in building that relationship, right? And building a relationship with a neighbor. And really, you know, this is not like I'm not trying to be new or exciting. This is just how do we get to know people? <laughs> also, in a lot of ways too. Um, and then, you know, along those neighbors, people in your community, opportunities. Um, the first, the first step in evangelism, right? The first step in sharing the gospel with people is just getting to know them, right? Just getting to know your neighbors, getting to know people in the community, and um, and that means that first and foremost, we really have to have a love for people. We have to have a love for other people who aren't like us, right? You have to have a love for people who aren't your family. You have to have a love for people who may not like the things you like, who um, may have you know, less money than you or more money than you or whatever it is, we've got to, you know, it, it, it starts with having a heart for people and actually in order to get to know them. Um, and really, it depends on who that those people are, which sort of determines how we engage with them, right? So just think of all, you know, I put three relationships, which I think kind of sums up all of them, but, you know, whether they're a neighbor or a stranger or a family member, it sort of determines how you approach getting to know them, right? And how you engage them on a regular basis. You know, a neighbor, I need to do better about this, but it is, you know, the easiest thing in the world to go once a week and just knock on their door and just say, hey, how are you doing? Great to see you. I just wanted to come and say hey. 
Um, and you know, obviously the the American dream has made that like the most absurd thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Of I live in my isolated shell. You, even though you're 50 feet away, live in your isolated shell, and never the twain shall meet unless you know I put up a sign saying "Neighbors Welcome." Um, and um, you know, so that you know, something something like a neighbor, and really that's why, as I think of it, as, as um, you know, neighbors are the most accessible of people that the Lord has placed in our lives. Neighbor, right? I mean, I just you know, and just knowing like when we were in Jackson, I had a neighbor wasn't really Christian. Um, drank like a fish, but one thing he was great at is every time he saw me, he would make sure to say, "Hey, Christian, how are you doing?" Or you know, would come knock on my door when his family were just having a barbecue and just say, "Hey, I'd love to have you and the wife come over and just be a part of what we're doing." Right? It, and really, this is not just Christian ethics, right? It's just what it means to be a good neighbor. Um, you know, strangers. So you know, I tried. To, this was kind of weird. Just talking, going back to Jack, old Jack. He probably thinks I'm a weirdo now, but I. Um, he, um, you know, talking with him, this was at a buy coffee in Blairsville, talking with him, um, again, like I said, kind of in a rush, but wanted to make time to get to know him. And, I, you know, obviously you're trying not to be artificial, but you're trying to, you're hoping something like that, you get a, a second chance to talk with them, you know, a second chance to follow up, at least just begin to build that friendship. And, you know, the whole time I'm talking with him, like, is it weird to say, hey, can I grab your number? We'd love to grab coffee or, you know, whatever it is. And so, my my, uh, my compromise was me to ask him. I didn't actually say this word for word, but it was something like this, where I basically just asked him if he if he came to abide often. And it was like that's weird. I don't, I'm, I'm married and I have a kid. I promise. Um, uh, but you know, as we, have, as we as we talk to strangers, we have to recognize that we can't. You know, we have to. Well, yeah, they have to set boundaries. Um, but you have to. I mean, even as you're talking to strangers, you're you're. You have to, I mean, I'm, I want to be conscious of how do I not make this just a one-off conversation, right? How do I, how can I at least, if as best I can, sort of see to it that we have another run-in, right? And that may just be, you know, as, as I've done with a couple of guys now that I've met this, is in this in Blairsville, is just add in my prayer list and say, Lord, let Scott McDowell, let us cross paths again, please, just so I can talk to them once more. Daniel, you know, all these guys. Yeah, Holly. You know what you need? Business cards with, with Grace uh, Grace Presbyterian. Yeah, Church. we're going to talk about with that. phone number, yeah. you know, and just say, hey, if you, after you talk with them, then you say, hey, if you ever if you never need anything or want to talk again. Or, yeah, yeah. I well, mean, just like we send out business cards, we give them out for, like, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I have business cards for my art. Yeah. Why not for a church? Yeah. Instead well, it's, little, little tracks. It's funny you ask that because, you know, I, we're, I was going to, that's the perfect time to, to say it. So one thing, and this is, you know, really from the, this is the, the, the brainchild, is that the saying? The brainchild? Yeah. Roger is the one that's responsible for this, Roger Trumbull there. Uh, so thank him. But we are actually developing, these are little grace you know, invite cards. So we'll, um, these are, um, they have all our information, website, um, uh, physical address, um, service time. Nice. And, um, and what they are, so there's 28 of them, right? And there's, uh, is that right, 28? Yeah, 28. And um, what they are is they are, um, each one, there's three different sets. One is, I've got the series right here. Um, one is what we believe, one is who we are, and one is just various scriptures. So you kind of got eight to ten of each one. Of uh, one, you know, for example, this one is um, who we are, eight of eight. 
We are a family. We are committed to one another. We believe in the biblical principle of the community of saints. As such, we are deliberately not program-driven, but intentionally seek to foster genuine fellowship through Christian love, sir, through foster genuine community through Christian love, service, and fellowship. And he just took these each straight from our website. So, you know, have it, you know, so exactly just what you're saying. You know, I, and as I said, you know, man, I, I should have brought one of these along with me so that, you know, as I'm talking to Jack, to be able to give him, hey, would love to either call me or, you know, show up. So or we could put our phone number on there too. Yeah, you could write your, you could write your own phone number. Um, but just, and I, I say that because, Lord willing, um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to make about 150 of these. Um, and um, I want them all gone by the next one. No, I was kidding. Um, um, Put your phone number on. I'll take them all. <laughs> um, and um, uh, but really, so hopefully this will be a great resource for y'all just to have and just you know just to be able to you know as you have conversation um, to, to to slip this to them. So yeah, great point, Holly, and perfect lead into what uh, one thing I wanted to mention. Um, but so approaching strangers and approaching family members, right? And sort of like neighbors, you know, one of the, the verses that um, always stands with me is Paul, when Paul says, um, can't remember where, but, you know, he says, hey, if you're, if you're not taking care of your family in need, then you're actually worse than Gentiles because it's the natural law that you take care of family when they need it. Um, and so and, and what, what I mean is, you know, there's this natural tie we have with family members that is almost just um, just easy ways to to have gospel conversations. Now, you know, we all have very diverse families. You know, my family, my brother and I are probably the only Christians. Uh, my, well, my my mom and dad, my brother and I, my aunt, are some of the only Christians um, in kind of the broader scope. Um, my aunt's a lesbian. Um, you know, my uncles are just heathen. So it's not a it's not necessarily the easiest thing, but you have familial ties that allow you, and and you also know how to approach them a little little bit better. Um, and in and, and each each scenario, right, each circle of relationship, um, not every conversation is or should be an evangelistic conversation, right? I mean, you'll wear yourself out, you'll wear people out if every time you're like, repent and believe. Right. Uh, I mean, who knows how many people, I mean, people may make a burden. Praise God for that. Um, but each, each conversation, like I said before, should lead, should be, you know, you should have in mind, how does this build towards me sharing the gospel with them? And in each conversation, we need to be ready to share the gospel, right? Be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that I thought of, and this is actually on a, a lesson that I had to listen to online because I wasn't here, mm -hmm. but it was, um, I can't let fear dictate who I'm going to speak to mm -hmm. about the gospel because if I do, I, come, I came up with two things that... Um, are actually pride because I don't have the power to convert anybody. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry about, you know, whether they're going to convert. I don't have that kind of power. Yeah. Yep. I also don't have the power to say something that will cause someone to not believe. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I can't say anything that would, if they're already going to, you know, in, in uh, the whole scheme of things, God has all this worked out and they're going to believe, but it's not going to be, you know, now, but I don't have that power so that they all, oh, I'm never going to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and that, that's a great point, right? And there's a um, so each conversation we have, yeah, you should have, you should be aware of the Spirit leading you and the power of the Holy, uh, the power of Jesus, but also having that confidence, like she said, that you know, obviously there are stupid things that Christians can say. You know, if you say something like, um, you know, isn't it great that 
God only loves men and not women, like that could be a stupid thing, right? Uh, <laughs> um, or, you know, isn't it great that um, America is like the only country that God cares about? Like there are obviously things that Christians could say that are less than wise, but having that confidence that, hey, if you're walking, if you are, if you are giving biblical evangelism to people, there is nothing that you can say. There's, you know, you know, there, it, you, people, or non-believers don't hate Christianity because you told them once, God will judge you one day for your sins, right? That's not why, it's not because, you know, no one actually, as many people who say nowadays, you know, I hate God because Christians judge me. You know, in some ways, I'm sure that, you know, Christians, be, Christians could, or they, you know, they, they made me afraid of God and his wrath. You know, in some ways there, there are, um, you know, emphases that may have been overdone. They but, could use that as an excuse. Yeah, exactly. They yeah, yeah. Many times, but it's an excuse. They weren't going to believe it anyway. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, they hate God right. because they, hate, they hate him anyways. Yeah. Um, so having that that freedom, I, I loved how you how you put that, um, Judy, of have that freedom that knowing that, that we don't have the power, but we also don't have the like, we don't have the power to save. But we also don't have the power to condemn. Right? We're not. That is not our role. Um, so as we think about. You know, thinking these questions, those these fears that we have in our lives, um, neighbors, strangers, family members, uh, people in our community. Um, I want to think about two uh, for a few minutes um, what it means to lay the groundwork to share the gospel, right? To to really um, do this is probably the the in most cases the long drudge work, and I don't mean that in a bad way necessarily, but. Um, laying the foundation can take a long time to, until someone, you know, actually either comes to you or has something happen that kind of opens the door to share the gospel. Um, and really starting with the groundwork, um, I, I, I've said this before, but the, really the first piece of laying the groundwork in any relationship is our own heart's posture before God, and our own our own place of awe and adoration in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And a lot of what I'm going to say for the next, probably the rest of this lesson, um, comes from this book. I showed this earlier, Gossip Comes the House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Great book. This is the one that will make you question if you're actually a Christian, but it's a great book. Um, and she starts talking about, you know, this whole book is about hospitality, which we're going to talk about today. But she starts off the book um, talking about um, the Jesus paradox and what it means to... Um, to the, to, to be a sinner saved by grace in Christ. And she says, The Jesus paradox is that touch from Jesus that launches a contagion of grace for those who believe, repent, turn, and follow. A contagion of grace that allows the believer to love those who hate in return and to pray, serve, and sacrifice so that others can know that God is alive and rescues those who call. Right? I love that idea, this contagion of grace, right? That we are so... Are we so infected with the grace that's been poured out for us, hey, baby, um, that it just overflows, right? It overflows in all that we do. Um, you know, not only to not only having notice how I said we only have a contagion of grace for those who believe, repent, and turn and follow. So, you know, a love for Christians, a love for God's people here at Grace, but also a love, a contagion of grace that allows the believer to love those who hate in return. Right, so to, to love Christian and non-Christian alike, this, 
this full just you know the great if, if God can love someone like me really you know again reckoning with question 25 of the Westminster Law of Catechism if someone can if God can love someone as sinful and as hardened as me then surely I can love all those he sends my way um uh, you know, again, this is coming from a, a poem by a lady named Mary Oliver. Um, her poem, Sometimes. And, you know, Mary Oliver's kind of weird. Uh, wouldn't recommend her, you know, as like a guide for life necessarily. Um, but she had this one section, this one stanza in her poem, Sometimes, that really stood out, especially as I thought about um, what it means to share the gospel. And here she, she says, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Right? We're thinking about sharing the gospel. That, I feel like that really sums it up. Yeah. Pay attention to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Be astonished at the grace poured out for you. And then tell people about it. Yeah. Tell people about it. Um, George Mueller, you know, famous missionary, he said, um, I'm stealing this from John Piper. I didn't go and find it. I'm stealing from John Piper. Um, but he said, this is George Mueller. Uh, I think this was before he actually moved to because um, wasn't he? He was in India, right, for most of his career. You would know. Yeah, <laughs> it was before he he moved to India. But he says, "I saw more clearly than ever the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may, may be nourished." I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and the meditation on it. Right? So, if as important as thinking about evangelism is, if you're not thinking, is my soul happy in the Lord before you're operating, you know, it's not, you know, you're 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 going to the gym when all you've had is Red Bull and Lucky Charms, right? <laughs> you're not gonna last on that, right? You're not gonna last on um, Boy, I really—I mean, there is a sense in which I hope—I hope my heart is. I would love to see Jack from Crane Creek converted, but that's not gonna—that's not gonna sustain me when Jack, you know, tells me to go to H E Double Hockey Sticks and you know never talk to him again, right? But the love of Christ that He has for me—that's what's gonna sustain me in those moments. Um, and so, as we think about, you know, being astonished, telling about it. You know, obviously, as we talked just a minute ago, that means we actually have to have people in our lives to tell about it. And what I love so much about this book here is this Gospel Comes with the House Key is how it highlights how hospitality is probably the easiest, most natural way for us to have people in our lives to tell about it. Right? To have have people coming into our lives in order to um, talk about the gospel. And so when I talk about hospitality, you know, the, the Greek word for hospitality is uh, philoxenia, which means uh, the love of stranger, loving the alien. And, and, you know, in those days, I've said this before, in, in, you know, first century A.D., loving the stranger meant, you know, some rando knocks on your door and says, hey, I need a place to stay tonight. And you say, come on in, right? We've got a bed for you. Now, that would probably not be the wisest move. I'm not going to say we shouldn't do stuff like that, but, you know, there's also general wisdom involved. Um, but, you know, it was a regular practice of, of Christians to bring the needy in, to bring, to, to open up a bed for people who had need. Um, and it's interesting, if you look at it, you know, Christians gave hospitality because, you know, the Lord commanded 
to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you look at the Greek practice, the you know the Roman Greek practice, they did it because they thought, hey, you never know. There's a story about a guy, Zeus and um, Hermes take human form, and they go and they're kind of walking through, and they knock on a guy's door and they say, hey, can we stay here tonight? And he says, no, sorry, I just can't. Not going to let you. And then they unveil themselves to be Zeus and Hermes, and they just completely destroy him and his entire family. Um, so the Greeks and the Romans, and then they practiced hospitality because their thought was, hey, you never know when the gods are going to come in to your house, right? You, and you, you don't want to turn away the gods. Um, well, the Christian motivation of hospitality was always there are weak and wounded, sick and sore sinners out there who need, need us, who need the gospel. Um, but really, the practice of hospitality, you know, the most simple one that I think that, you know, Rosario Butterfield talks about and is just common today is just having people over for meals. Like having, and I know many of y'all are so good at this, probably everyone in this room, as I look at y'all, are so good at this, of having people over um, either at this church or outside. Um, but really, you can just think, as, as I think of hospitality, it's, the, it's really opening up yourself completely to people, going so far as opening up your own home to them. Right? And as you think about um, what your home signifies, it's actually a big deal to open up your home to somebody, right? To, to bring somebody in and say, here, I want you to sit at this table with me. Uh, in fact, when we think about the message of hospitality, having people into our home, you know, we, we can't help but have our mind turn to the Lord's table. And that, you know, first Sunday of every month here, we celebrate the fact that Jesus calls us to his table. He calls us to come and and dine with him. And one day, right, in the ultimate act of hospitality, God is not only, um, you know, going to have us in a perfect new heaven and new earth, but he's actually going to come and join us. Right? He's going to, there's going to be the perfect fellowship between God and man there. Um, And there's a really, you know, even whether non-believer or believer alike, there's just like in in marriage, which, you know, non-believers get married too, and marriage is a picture of the gospel, in in Having, sharing a meal with someone, there's something uniquely powerful about that act that communicates the gospel of, you know, well, here's, let me say it this way. The act of sharing a meal with somebody can either communicate the message of you're only here because you're somehow important for me to get to know. You're in the social sphere that I want to be a part of. Or you're someone in need of a meal, just like I was, and you're welcome at my table. Um, Mary Douglas was a, a, an anthropologist. Again, wouldn't recommend her theology, but um, secular uh, anthropologist. I think she died in 04, 07 or something. Um, British lady. But she wrote this, this uh, article, and I actually got this from Butterfield here, but she wrote this article years ago called um, Discerning a Meal, which is sort of an anthropological look of what happens when people eat meals together. Here's what she said. She said, the message of food is about different degrees of hierarchy, inclusion and exclusion, boundaries and transactions across the, boundary, across the boundaries. The taking of food has a social component as well as a biological one. Food categories, therefore, encode social events. Now, the article itself is kind of weird at, at places, but I think what she's summing up there is, is right on. That Every time we meet a, eat a meal together, we're conveying some sort of social message, right? Um, you know, you think about, like... Um, you know, proper proper dinners, you know, dinners of um, higher-ups, of world powers. You know, the person who gets the head of the meal, at the head of the table, is the most powerful, whether the president or whatever. And then those of 
the, the graded importance of those people sort of sit correspondingly alongside of them, right? That there's that, and or you think about it, right? In a family, when a family eats together, the husband is generally at the head of the table on one side, then you know, not like if you don't do this, you're a sinner. But just the, the message that is conveyed of even how you know we arrange ourselves, uh, these are the people who we want included into our lives, right? That sharing meal, and, and she has this really interesting, this fact, you know, I'm all about, you know, grabbing a drink with somebody or grabbing a cup of coffee with somebody and getting to know them. But she has this really, really amazing insight that there's something very different about just grabbing a drink with somebody and having a meal with somebody, right? And she has this point that, you know, grabbing a drink is sort of that, I sort of wanted to get to know you, but we're never gonna, we're, we're always gonna be out here. We're gonna meet at a coffee shop. We're gonna meet at, you know, Luckies or whatever. This is, but this is where our relationship resides out here. While having a meal with somebody actually says, You're, "You can come into my inner circle. Right? You can come and and be a part of what we do here." Um, and so both of those, right? The, the this practice of hospitality, this message of hospitality, really highlights the importance of hospitality. That as we have people into our homes, we are implicitly telling them, I want you to be around with me, right? I, I, you, you have a place at our table. And now, I don't want to get weird into like, you know, everyone's saved, but like, there's a sense in which having people into our homes sends the message of the, the same Lord that I follow has a place for you too. Right? The same Lord that, that called me is calling you too. And you're welcome here. Um, and, and, and just think, right? Think about when you when you're having when you think about your dining room table. Who are the people that you would never have sit at that table? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, but those are the you know those are the, the those are the categories that we've placed of these are the people that I love no further right. And when I think about you know, I was convicted as I thought, man, who are the people that I wouldn't have you know? And I thought first one to thought would be. You know, there's my neighbor who lives just up the street who is, uh, you know, very disheveled, sleeps in his car a lot. Obviously, his, his house is a wreck. And, you know, he was the first one that I, I wouldn't want to have sit at my table, right? Or, you know, a homeless person, probably got lice, pretty dirty. Like, I don't know if I'd want them sitting at this table, right? And, 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 and the list is, is vast for everybody. We all have those people, those, those categories that we by nature of our own sinful, you know, no, are saying there's no place for you. And, and really, you know, what the gospel does is it breaks down those walls. And it says, every person has a seat at, at this table. Um, and so this, this brings to what Rosario Butterfield, no, this brings Rosario Butterfield to call this Christian act of hospitality, she calls it radically ordinary hospitality. Right? Radically ordinary hospitality. And here's what she says, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. If you are prohibited from using your living space in this way, it counts if you support in some way some household in your church that is doing it. The purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to build, focus, to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible-believing local church and being earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. 
Um, and as we, as, you know, just even that definition, why do you think she adds those two qualifiers of radically and ordinary to hospitality? Why do you think she adds those two qualifiers? Well, your home is your safe place, but being radical and bringing in people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's rad. Oh my gosh! It's, this is leaking coffee. Um, yeah, it's radical in that you know, no one does these these days. No one, you know, you know the old southernism, and we got this eighteen million times in Jackson, just all over in the South. Oh, we'll have to have you over supper sometimes. And I know I said it before too. And you don't really mean it. It's just I don't really have anything else to say in the moment. And bless you. We're, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, there, so, um, yeah, it's radical, right? Very few people actually, and, and you know, in, in, this, in this book, she had, starts out with a really amazing story of her neighbor, Hank, who, you know, he was sort of the, the, the smear on her neighborhood, um, all these things, he, and then, you know, slowly she gets to know him, finds out he has PTSD, he has chronic manic depression, all these things, uh, and then one day he gets arrested for, you know, he has a meth lab in his house, you know, all these crazy things, and the thing that keeps on coming up is how all the other neighbors are saying either, you know, he, I always knew he was bad or he just gets what he deserved or whatever. And how foreign it was to, to be someone who actually engaged with someone like Hank, right? To actually have someone like Hank into their home. So it's radical in that, in that, in that mode, right? In that no one else is doing this. But no, she also adds ordinary. Why would she say ordinary? There's not much more ordinary than sitting down at your own kitchen table for me. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not like going out to a five-star restaurant. Right, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. It's not most people. It's literally the thing people do at least two or three times a day, right? It's ordinary. You're not, you know, inventing the iPhone or anything to, re to reach people. And it's also ordinary because it's what Christians have done all along, mm -hmm. right? It's just, you're just doing what Christians have always done, is welcoming people in. Um, you know, I think about, you know, and this is obviously not God's calling everyone. Holy moly, we're almost out of time. Um, um, it's obviously not God's calling everyone, but I think of the uh, Moravian Brotherhood, right? And, you know, there's all sorts of weird stuff that has kind of emerged out of some of those guys. But early on in their impulse, this missionary impulse that drove the Moravian Brotherhood, you know, they would go, you know, just this, this thought of hospitality of, you know, sailing from... Germany, all the way to leper colonies in South America, and then praising God when they got leprosy, because now they can finally be a part of these leper colonies and share the gospel with them, right? This, this radical hospitality that drives people to, not to command people, you have to get up here and get on my level if you want to be with me, but actually go so far as to stoop down and, and get into their, their sphere. Um, so we can, and we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk more about this, um, how we can go about that. Um, but as I finish, just a couple of words of, that comes from Butterfield on this. Um, this, if we're going to live like this, if we're, if we're going to practice hospitality like this, um, of, of bringing sinners in, you know, that first off means we have to count the cost, right? It, it, you know, food prices are insane these days, right? Um, and feeding people regularly is expensive. Having people in can be expensive. And so, um, you know, make, how, how do we make it a priority without obviously, you know, driving our families into uh, bankruptcy? Um, but it also means that um, 
we have to accept our own finitude, right? Meaning that when you have, if to, to live like this means your house can't be perfect, like you want it to be perfect every time you have people over. You can't cook, you know, I love grilling out, I love smoking brisket or ribs. I can't do that, you know, two times a week for people, right? We have to be okay with, um, you know, she talks about how she loves rice and beans, right? We have to be okay with, with, with giving people what we can. Um, but really, and, and, but lastly, even as we think about this, of this, this priority of hospitality, this, um, this demand that it makes in our time, and yet having to, and, and really, even as we think about being okay with our finitude, what I'm saying is that we all put on a shell. We all want our homes to look like Magnolia, that like Joanna Gaines did all this together, right? And yet, part of being sinful, fallen creatures is recognizing, hey, my life is not like this at all, right? I, I, we, we, Corey and I love to show the middle. And last night we were watching this episode where they, the husband and wife get in this little fight, and um, you know the wife says something like, you know, every couple is supposed to look like the perfect couple, and then we find about it when we close the door, right? And like every house is supposed to be this perfect house, and then but only on Saturday and Sunday when you have people over. Monday through Friday is a wreck, but we don't let people see our house Monday through Friday, um, and yet kind of bring and you know there's this sort of uh, kind of back and forth of as you bring people in you're not bringing people into your quote unquote vision of a good life of what you think a clean house is but you're actually bringing people into your own mess you're actually bringing people into how you actually live um, and you know there's like if you know and we've I've, we've been guilty of this but you know you go to someone's house for lunch or dinner or whatever and there's like not a speck of dust and you wonder, like, do these people actually live here? Or did they, like, just rent this house for the day to have us over? And um, there's almost a sterility to it, right? You know, there's, but, you know, when, when there's mess, when there's children laughing and running all over the place, it, it, it feels like home. And that's where I want to get as I end, as we, before we, we'll talk about more next week. But as we think about this practice of radically ordinary hospitality, as scary as it can be, as much of a time commitment as it can be, Right? Recognize that everyone wants to feel loved. Everyone wants to feel welcome. Whether it's the the stern, drunk neighbor three doors down, or it's you know, um, the 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 gay person you met at Aldi. Whoever it is, everyone wants to feel loved and welcome. And so, even as we think about, you know, we shouldn't. Don't be afraid to invite people over for dinner. Don't be afraid of those awkward silences that you might encounter when you actually sit down at a meal with somebody. Don't be afraid of saying something that might offend because just having them in, you are giving them a, the, the, the answer to their heart's desire to feel loved and to feel welcomed. Um, I know we're a few minutes past. Any questions about any of that? Yeah, Jay. Just one comment. It's it really helped me. It said, don't have anything in your house that's more important than the people who come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and that you know sometimes you have to think about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And really, I mean, along with it too, you know, like my phone is not the best. It seems to be breaking every day. I could buy a new one and spend eight hundred bucks, but it's like. Is you know, and but that means you know, well, we can't have people over for dinner for like three months, and you know, weighing the balances of what is what is important for people, like what is the the even whether it's financially or time, whatever it may be, what are the important things? And again, you know, it's easy to take everything I say as sort of like 
here's 18 million things to do. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be the, you know, the lawyers and scribes to, to weigh you down, but just um, trying to get our hearts, my own heart, attuned to how can we just reach people better. So let me pray for you all and we'll go. You can go ahead and go sit with me too. <laughs> uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for um, your great picture of uh, radical hospitality, of coming to us, Lord, sending your own son in a frail human form to die for us welcome us in. I do pray that even as we think about um, calling the sinner to you, that we might be those people to practice this radically ordinary hospitality, to, to stoop down and to, to show people this God that we worship, this God who comes and saves us and changes everything. Lord, again, I thank you for these dear saints and their desire to, to, to love people well, their desire to share the gospel. I pray that you bless their efforts, Lord, that you would, um, even as we think about these names that we have, Lord, that these uh, these, these people to pray for, that you would go forth and even begin to prepare the hearts in, in all these people, Lord, that uh, we would be just uh, mere servants, Lord, coming to, to shine a light in the dark places of their heart. Lord, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.